I'm out day one. I'm one of the first to go into an apocalypse. Absolutely. I feel like I'm one of the ones that like snap at the end. So you think you'd be like one of the crazies that people come across like for one scene out of the wild? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think I'm dead and then the whole time I've just been eating grubs <laughs> in the mud. Like I'm just like, yeah, this is where I belong. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jen Fricker. And I'm Alexi Teleopoulos. Welcome to the Big Film Buffet. A podcast for pop culture fans and people looking for what to watch recommendations. And today we're serving up our main course where we recommend you a Netflix film for you to watch this weekend. And of all the films out this weekend, this is what we think you should spend your time on. It's a movie called Love and Monsters. I'm sorry. God, where have you been, Joel? We have to go right now, say goodbye, to get in the car. I should go. No, man, maybe you should come with us. No, my mom's waiting. I'm sorry. Get in the car. Amy, you need to hurry home now. I want you to have this. What? What? It's Crocodile Girls. You're a good luck charm. Be careful. You too. Amy, I love you. I love you too. I'm going to come find you. You better. So Love and Monsters is a new movie from director Michael Matthews. What it is basically is a blockbuster-style dystopian future with creatures crawling around. The world has had a natural and unnatural disaster, and now there are survivors out there feeling lonely, looking to connect, but there are giant creatures keeping them all apart. Yeah, it has real shades of quarantine life, to be very honest. It's kind of like quarantine lifestyle meets Jurassic Park meets Little Rascals meets a touching nod of Stand By Me. I love this film because it's a really, really well done monster movie with like some legit jump scares and stuff all centered around like quite a cute and lovely love story, a kind of teen rom-com. Yeah, it's this really cool genre hybrid. I think what excites me most about this movie, it really does feel like it has been a freaking minute since we've got something like this. Mm-hmm. How rare is it to have an original, not based on anything in particular, blockbuster style movie at this kind of mid-budget range, which allows us for some like exciting experimentation, some new kind of monster designs, while still being completely touching with this really sweet love story right at the center of it, it feels very much like they've captured this 1990s vibe, like that blockbusters had back then. Yeah, for sure. It really reminds me of the original Jurassic Park in that way that you were kind of discovering the world as the characters in it are discovering the world and the rules of the world and that kind of thing. It definitely feels like it could be franchise, but this is like such a strong standalone movie and it's really fun. Like if you're looking just for like, a fun watch this weekend with your mates, with some you love, mm-hmm. or just like by yourself. This is super, super fun. The creatures in this. The creatures, my lord. We have to talk some creatures in this because I think you hit it on the head when you mentioned Jurassic Park because it has like almost a new take on that Spielbergian wonder. Like so many of like modern blockbusters when we have a giant creature where we get this sense of scale, sure, but we don't get this sense of seeing something completely new and fresh. The way the movie does this is we follow this protagonist, Joel, played by Dylan O'Brien that we know from The Maze Runner. As he kind of 
leaves his shelter for the first time in nearly a decade to go on a journey to meet his ex-girlfriend who he's been separated from for the entire time of this ongoing apocalypse. And he's seeing a lot of these big creatures for the first time and their designs are fantastic because they're all based on actual animals in our regular earthly environment that have been mutated and grown out into ginormous gargantuan leviathan-like versions (laughs) of like snails, of dogs, of like little grublets and stuff like that. And so when he like sees them for the first time, they really do capture this sense of like, oh, I'm seeing something completely freaking new, completely crazy, both of that world and familiar to us in just that tiniest sense. Yeah. I think it's really, really freaking cool. Yeah. And I feel like so often monster movies really work hard to like justify why they exist by like trying to throw in some kind of angle like, oh, it's a metaphor for XYZ. It isn't trying to sell you an ideology or whatever. Like it's just like this is just gonna be a fun monster movie. Really charming actors. Like you said, Joel, played by Dylan O'Brien, is just like a real quintessential like nineties character. He's just a mm. kind of schlubby nerdy guy who met a girl, lost the girl, and he's trying to get her back. I think one of the things that reminds me of the nineties was like we've kind of come full circle with this now where like the nerd is the hero. And I think of a lot of like 90s action blockbusters, they kind of started slowly doing that. Like, you know, people like Nicolas Cage kind of played the nerd in The Rock. And then he slowly evolves to doing Con Air like a year later. And then all the way with Face Off. And then weirdly, Nicolas Cage is like the action star of the 1990s. Mm. And that kind of like was the way things went. It was like you start as a nerd, then you become this action hero. And now we're seeing like the action hero literally in this movie starting as a nerd that's what his skill set is that he learns what the weaknesses are of these monsters very much pokemon vibe styles of like how he has to go out in the world and like eventually puts this handbook together of how to tackle all these monsters in the best way to fight them to beat them but it's done in a way that's very sweet because i think part of the charm is like these monster designs are interesting they're not just freaky Mm. like they are made to have like a sense of warmth to them as well like that's kind of part of the journey of this movie is like understanding what these creatures are which i think is very rare for this type of film to have this kind of complexity to what the creatures are in a way that is kind of fun as well without it being too much of a downer or too much of a scary film yeah it feels at the heart, like, it's not a cynical film. I will say what you were saying about, like, the nerd main character. Like, I feel like it's absolutely nerd propaganda, to be honest. <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to make the centre of this, like, action-adventure movie a guy who can't fight and, like, his real <laughs> strength is that he can draw monsters and, like, notice things. It's like, yeah, of course a nerd wrote this. <laughs> My biggest strength is that I can't fight. Like, shut up, nerd. (laughs) My biggest strength is that I can't fight and I can observe things in the wild, okay? I'm a wonderful observer. Yeah, yeah, I listen. (laughs) But I guess that's like the fantasy is like, yes, I will be able to survive the apocalypse because all the skills that I've learned in my real, regular life have prepared me for it. Mm. And I don't believe that I would. I'm out day one. I'm one of the first to go in an apocalypse, absolutely. I feel like I'm one of the ones that, like, snap at the end. So you 
you think you'd be like one of the crazies that people come across like for one scene out of the wild? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think I'm dead and then the whole time I've just been eating grubs <laughs> in the mud. Like I'm just like, yeah, this is where I belong. <laughs> I always feel like in stressful situations, I really feel like it's a 50-50 for me where I'm like, I'm going to hold it together. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be strong for everyone. Or mm-hmm. I'm the other person that just runs out the door and is like, Woo! we're all dead. Thank for yourselves. I'm trying to think how I could possibly survive, like what skills I have to bring to apocalypse survival. I know film knowledge, I don't think is going to cut it, especially if there's no electricity. The best I'll be like, hey, do you remember that one scene in like the Blues Brothers? That was awesome. Hey, that would be so annoying (laughs) at one point. I'm too much of like a gourmand to go out there and like gobble up grubs from the dust. See, I was thinking you'd be a great chef, much like the main character Joel in this, who is Mm. the chef for the people in his bunker you'd be the joel man i would love to be the joel but i think my nose would be too far upturned to possibly grill a grub you'd never grill a grub i'm gonna put it on the record right now alexi toliopoulos will never dare i say never ever grill a grub okay what would you grill though like old baked beans you found in a shelter <laughs> Yeah, I would just put the can on the grill hole and just hopefully it heats it up on the inside. When you asked me what I would grill, I had a visceral thought of me grilling a rat. And I guess I would try it. Wow. It's what it's come down to. I had a deep moment where I looked into my soul for one half of a second and I saw myself, yep, I'm going to do it. I'm going to freaking remake Ratatouille, but we're not serving yeah, Ratatouille at the gonna end. I was going to say, you're going to reverse Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah, the rat controls me from the inside. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I've got is that I'm kind of strong. I could carry some stuff. If it happened right now in the studio, mm. if everything outside this world started crumbling, yeah. would you piggyback me the safety? That I could do. <laughs> There'd be no nobility in it. That's the other thing. I'm not like a hero that could be like... <laughs> I'm doing this for the good of everyone and for the community. I'd be like, wow, okay. You've got 90s hero hair, I would say, Alexi. You've got like a kind of tousled side part. Oh, my Lord. Thank you so much. Which... I feel like is a strength that you are not picking up on for yourself. I think that might be my curse, though, that my hair is too good. I do admit it. It's my greatest asset in this world that I have fabulous hair, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And don't look at the podcast tile that you're listening to right now. It was a bad hair day for me that we did the photo shoot, okay? (laughs) And I think about it every freaking day. Go on to my Instagram, look at some of the better gorgeous shots of me, and you'll see how gorgeous my hair actually is. And probably would cut it shorter if we were in an apocalyptic world because it would make me look too strange because I have like Zeus Grecian god hair and then I'm a little nugget man underneath it all. (laughs) I mean, I would welcome the apocalypse and I did get into this a bit during lockdown. I was very keen for like the Mad Max style haircuts that we were all going to get. You know what I mean? Yes. I dipped into cutting my own hair during the quasar (laughs) and I didn't go crazy with it. You know what I mean? I just gave myself some curtain bangs and I took some length off the ends. But I do feel like it'll be fun to like just start getting clippers and just shaving down one side of my head or having like a horse mane. You know what I mean? 
Don't you reckon that would be exciting? That's a real fantasy of mine to just one day go nuts and shave my head. Dude. I think it's because I read an interview like probably 15 years ago with Hugh Jackman and he said that when he shaved his head for the fountain and he had a shower right after, he said it was the best feeling he's ever had in his life. What? Why? Because it just felt so good in his head. He said it felt cold and rippled through his scalp. Oh. But then if you shave your head in like this apocalypse world, you're not going to have a shower. The grime will just go straight onto the head. We were speaking earlier about the monsters, the titular <laughs> monsters. The team behind it, an Australian team who worked on this film, have like copped an Oscar nomination. Yeah, this is for best visual effects, right? I don't know. You know, sometimes you watch a film and you're like, that's clearly a puppet. That's clearly a man's hand mm-hmm. just in some felt or whatever, like waving about. Or the other one is, oh, that is absolutely just completely CGI, very loosey-goosey, no weight or interaction with, like, the real world that it's meant to be set in, right? Mm -hmm. It does perfectly blend these characters. Yeah. Like, it feels really real, and it really took me back to watching those films. I want to say, like, never-ending story, even though, like, now (gasps) I look at that and I go, Jim Henson, like, Mm -hmm. workshop creatures. But it really took me back to, like, wow, like, this is what film is able to do just make you not sure what is real and what isn't absolutely i agree i think like part of it is that there is like this slight cartoonish quality to the designs which kind of like sits in uh conversation if you will with like the actual physical actors in the scenes Mm. like that perfect amount of like suspended belief to just like buy into like what these creatures are because it's not completely realistic so you're not going to be caught off guard by anything that feels too reaching beyond like oh too uncanny because they're designed in such a specific way to not even enter that conversation at all yeah yeah, I think as well like aesthetically the world that they create in this film it's really fascinating it's really cool because it's set in America but kind of like this nameless part of America but it's filmed here in Queensland and I really do love seeing Australia be used as a fantasy world Mm -hmm. because you know there's so many like interesting trees there's so much interesting wilderness and wildlife here in Australia that making it set in America but filmed in Australia it gives it this kind of perfect like alien world like the wilderness has completely changed from when this cataclysmic event happened because it's so often New Zealand or somewhere that feels like completely exotic the way that Australia is used here as like this backdrop of this fantasy world is really nice exciting Australia has the most unique sunlight captured Mm. on film Mm. it's really warm it's really golden and seeing it used for a movie like this, like a blockbuster fantasy film, is very exciting to me. Yeah, I know. It's funny, isn't it? It's like, you know how you'd watch a movie on TV, like a Saturday Night Friday Night movie, and they'd be like mm-hmm. starring Australia's Hugh Jackman. And it's such a silly, like, parochial <laughs> thing. But whenever I see movies and it has nothing to do with Australia, but it's clearly shot in <laughs> Australia or it's got Australian actors being American, I'm like, yeah, that's us. <laughs> Please watch Love and Monsters starring Australia's Australia. Australia. (laughs) It also stars another Australian in this movie. Mm. I'm talking about this dog. The dog (laughs) in the movie. We're getting back to our pets on sets thing here. The dog is superb in this film. 
a character Joel comes across this dog that's kind of living by itself for a long time, found its own way in the apocalypse after its former master has disappeared. And this is a wonderful canine performance. <laughs> One of the greats in recent years since Augie sadly passed away. Wow. I thought that this might have been Red Dog, but it's not Red Dog. It is a wonderful performance, though, <laughs> by this dog. I've never thought I'd be speaking so much about animals in movies, and I'm so glad that this podcast came along. <laughs> I love that first scene between the dog and Joel, and it's just a one-sided conversation between a man and his pet. And I was watching it thinking, like, God, this really could have not worked as a scene. A man talking to a dog, asking it questions and reading reactions from an animal that has no concept of language. It could so easily not work. It come across as really cheesy or really forced. But it's just another part of this like very lovely film that works. What I like about it is it's not trying to be anything bigger than what it is, but what it accomplishes mm. is excellent. It's still really great. And it's very heartwarming. And it's exciting that it uses like that apocalyptic imagery that is so entwined in like apocalypse popular culture now of like this image of like a boy and his dog which like goes back to like Harlan Ellison the great sci-fi author wrote a story called A Boy and His Dog I think it's always been used as like this idea of humankind and canine kind are together in this world together they are allies to the end yeah and I think it's used in a very sweet and sincere way where this red dog this kelpie it joins Joel on this journey you see their friendship blossom and then the dog is so kind to all the other survivors out there in the world yeah it makes me wish I had a dog should we get a podcast dog we gotta get a pod dog dude a pod dog. I think we gotta get a little pod dog or at least let's start interviewing dogs on the pod Oh, we got to bring a dog on the pod. That's finally it. If I have a week off where I get sick or something, we got to get a dog to replace me on the pod. For a really long time, I just wanted to do a podcast and it was just for people's animals that were at home while people went to work. <laughs> and it's just me just being like, yeah. hey, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I think we got to release this. This is our first nine hour snack episode where Jed and I talk to dogs. What breed of dog would we get for the pod, do you think? I'm a bit afraid of animals. So I think you need to pick a dog that will be gentle with me to, like, bring me into a dog world. Yeah. Bro, can I be very honest with you? I got bit by a dog last week and now I'm very spooked by that. <laughs> this movie is great because it really suspended my disbelief that animals can just turn on you for no reason. <laughs> But there are some good animals. Exactly. And that's what the heartwarming tale of this love and monsters is all about. It's not just about monsters. It's equally about love. Love. Getting back to the aesthetic of this film, the bunker design as well felt so great to me. Like it felt equal parts like lived in, but also sci-fi. Yes. You know what I mean? All these kind of relics of people's lives that they've just kind of recovered from scavenging over, like, a decade. I agree. And I think, like, it does this great mix. And I think that's a great point to hit on, like, the genre hybridity of this film is that simultaneously it does all of that cool sci-fi lived-in stuff. But it does it through, like, this thing that I'm personally fascinated with at the moment of the idea of, like, teen bedrooms on film. 
because like so much of like a character has to come from like the space they live in and part of like this apocalypse is that all these young people are in like this state of arrested development they all still young they're all still trying to find their place because they've been stuck in this world living in their teenage bedrooms like trying to look out into the past and I think the way that these film construct those rooms like works in exactly the same way those teen bedrooms do to like show someone's personality show their state of life through their space I mean it wouldn't be a film pod without me asking you about some extremely niche actor that no one's probably ever noticed in a movie before <laughs> except you, Alexi. Oh, uh, there's some great character actors <laughs> in this movie, of course. I love seeing like a character actor be thrown into apocalyptic setting. But I'm gonna give a big shout out to Michael Rooker, who we know from stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, who has already been in the apocalypse in The Walking Dead. He kind of plays this mentor figure for Dylan O'Brien's character who he meets across in the wilderness he's a survival expert he's got a young daughter following him as well and I think that I really like seeing Michael Rooker who's got this really gruff tough exterior take on a much more sensitive role like this like that tough love scenario where he's helping this guy through the world but not taking it easy on him but he is so sweet and kind I think Michael Rooker who's like done so many movies where he's played the bad guy the heavy the rough guy to go against that with this film and be very sweet in a tough world oh man it melts my heart a little bit big shout out to Michael Rooker are you crying? (laughs) no I just feel tingly I promise you I'm not crying Alexi, if people enjoyed this movie, what else should they watch? There's a movie that I'm a big fan of that's been a bit of a discovery for me in the last couple of years. It is also a kind of rom-com meets apocalypse film. It's from 1988. It's called Miracle Mile. And it's basically two soulmates meet each other in Los Angeles at the La Brea Tar Pits. They instantly fall in love and they're meant to be but then they are separated because the apocalypse starts happening. There's a countdown to nuclear war and it's like this mad rush. It's kind of funny and comedic, yet it's also like truly a scary, exciting, thrilling apocalypse movie. And it's all set on one night as it's all building up to a nuclear wasteland. It is very cool. Miracle Mile, check it out. You can find it somewhere online, I'm sure. Jen, who do you think should watch Love and Monsters this weekend? Look, I'll be honest, everybody should. No, I just think if you're after a fun watch, it's a PG movie, but it's also like pretty fun at any age. You should mm. watch this film this weekend. If you got some time, if you feel like you just want something fun that'll get you immersed in a different world, it'll stay with you for a while, I think. Just like the mm. visuals of it, the world of it, the story, the acting, it's all just so charming and so lovely. Absolutely get around Love and Monsters, which is out this weekend on Netflix. And I'm right there with you. I think this is such a sweet blockbuster. Absolutely worth your time. And you'll be touched by it as well being freaked out by some cool creatures. Very cool creatures. This is a total recommend from me. And, you know, a separate category of reviewing, pets on sets. I would say it's five paws out of five. (laughs) I'm going to give it three and a half snouts. Wow. And if you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to The Big Film Buffet on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice comment, a nice review. And next Tuesday for our snack episode, we're going to be joined by Naomi Higgins from Why Are You Like This?
This episode was hosted by me, Alexi Toliopoulos, and Jen Fricker. Produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbold. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. Executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 